Uh, before we jump into the passage uh, this morning, um, uh, we're going to start the way we always start. We're going to start with our, our young ones, let you know what the sermon, what the passage is going to be about today. So, uh, kids, easy question, well, no, not easy question, big question, big question, you're not done with school yet, so, so get into science mode right here, school mode. Okay, what would happen if the sun went out? Kids, what would happen, like, what just, fi- what's that? Charlie, it would be dark. Yes, it would. Super dark immediately. What, what else? Sanders. Everything would die. Okay, that's jumping to the end point. Yes. How is that going to happen? How is that going to uh, shake out? Let's go, Erwin boys. That, I mean, right there. Henry, what were you going to say? That's it, y'all. So good. Right there. Okay, one, the world would be, if the sun went out, the world would be zero degrees immediately. Like instantly, the world would go to zero degrees. Okay, by the end of the day, do you know how cold it would be? Yes, freezing, below freezing. Guess how much below freezing? He's right, (laughs) y'all. Henry, that's so good. Yes, a hundred below. Yes, yes. And then, do you know what it would? You know what it would get to? Like what it would settle out if the sun goes out. The temperature on Earth would finally settle out around. Anyone want to guess? It would feel like the coldest nighttime ever. Who said? Ooh, so good. So Richard, negative four hundred. Really good, man. Hey, y'all are. This is awesome. You got okay. Okay, so yes, one freezing cold, we'd all freeze to death. Uh, and even if we somehow found shelter, uh, uh, the boys said it. Uh, also, your photosynthesis is immediately going to stop, which means what, kids? When photosynthesis stops, it means. No oxygen. You're brilliant. Yeah, all the plants, all the trees, they're going to stop sending out oxygen without the sun, and we're not going to have any air to breathe, but that's not going to matter because we're all going to be frozen to death. Okay, did you know, did you know that uh, the sun is going out? Uh, no, you don't have to forget. It's going to be way, like, we don't have to worry about it. It's going to be a long, 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 long time, but the sun is going out out like it is losing energy okay uh but there is we don't have to worry about that darkness so much as there is another darkness we're going to read today in just a second we're going to read this this prophecy in the old testament it's all about jesus it's going to say this it says those who walked in darkness have seen a great light what do you think that darkness is about not about the sun going out what do you think that darkness that Isaiah, the prophet, is talking about. What's that, Teddy? Sin. It's about sin. Yes, that there is this actual, like, yeah, the, the world looks dark. Like, people get sick. People are mean to each other. We don't love each other like we're supposed to. But you know what? There's also darkness inside each one of us. It's our sin. And who do you think that great light is that Isaiah is talking about? A great light is coming. Who's that, you think? It's Jesus Jesus is the great light. Okay, so just like you need the sun to give you life, you need Jesus, who is the great light, to give you life. 
and not and here's the really really cool thing not just to give you spiritual life yes to give you spiritual life to overcome your sin and that's why Jesus came and he lived for you and he died for you he took all that darkness on himself in order to give you his light and put his light in you and the really really cool thing is whenever Jesus comes back please Jesus come back soon uh, whenever Jesus comes back actually we're not going to need the sun anymore because Jesus will be that great light that will not only give us like light to see by, but fill us with his love uh, and his comfort and his fellowship. That there is a great, great light who has come. Jesus has come and overcome our darkness. And he is coming again. And in his light, nothing decays. Nothing dies. And that's what we're talking about uh, for this Advent kids, for this Advent season, when we are waiting for Jesus to come back, thinking about how he came that first time. We've been talking a lot about light and darkness. Uh, we come to our first passage of this Advent season. Uh, it's Isaiah chapter 9. And just a heads up, this is, this is where we're going to be all Advent season, is Isaiah 9. We've never done that before. I've just kind of parked and sat in one text for an extended amount of time. There is so much here uh, that it's going to easily fill up uh, our next few Sundays together. So uh, this, this great light that is to come, this awesome news, we'll get to spend time in this for this Advent season. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah... Sorry, pause. You, you might notice this is the very beginning of Isaiah. This is chapter 1, verse 1. And then we're going to skip to chapter 7, and then we are going to skip to chapter 9. So just, sorry. Let's begin again. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Chapter 7, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Uh, just last night, uh, Ryan and I were at a, a big dinner seated next to some new acquaintances, this lovely young uh, couple, and, and they had heard that I'm a pastor. And so we do uh, what they say you're not supposed to do when we talk religion at the dinner table. Um, and uh, and we, had, we had a sincere conversation where both sides are sharing convictions and asking questions and really listening to each other. It was awesome. Uh, and, and at one point, the young woman sitting next to me said, well, okay, so the way I see it, uh, there is a darkness all over the world. So the world is a dark place, and we're in the darkness. 
And, and, and knowing what our church was going to be going through this next Advent season, I, I literally pulled out my phone and showed her our, our little, uh, I, what do you call this, that graphic uh, that went out in our mailer to say, oh my gosh, look at this. Okay, and, and I said, uh, you are absolutely right. And there is a light in the darkness, a great light. And that light is Jesus. And then we baptize them right there. And no, uh, that's, but that stuff of the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That is a prophecy in the New Testament about the, that, that that's given right before the birth of Jesus, the, the the coming birth of Jesus, the Son of God. But that's not the first time you hear that prophecy. Uh, in the Bible, you hear it first here in Isaiah 9, 700 years before Jesus ever shows up. Uh, and this Isaiah 9 stuff that came 700 years earlier about the light, it is still about Jesus. Now you, need, you need some context here. Uh, the people of God here in the Old Testament, what we're reading here, they are in terrible darkness, and the prophet Isaiah comes with a prophecy about a... So they're in darkness. Isaiah's prophecy is... A great light is coming. And then just a few verses later, Isaiah prophesies that the light that is coming will be a child. And it's really, it's really easy to, to get into this stuff, read over this stuff, and not give that too much thought. But it does, like, it, there is a good question there of like, why? Okay, we're in darkness. We need light. Why is the light a child? Because if you were living in ancient Israel, dark times, and you were praying to God for a miracle, and you were told, oh, yeah, well, don't worry. Yes, everything is dark. A great light is coming, and it's going to be a child. Does that inspire faith, hope, love in you? It should it should if you had the context, because this is actually not the first time Isaiah has prophesied about this child. So I do need to give you a little more context. Two chapters earlier, and we, re we read this part, in Isaiah 7, you read about this child. And what's happening there is uh, Ahaz. There's this guy Ahaz, and he's the king of Judah, and his capital is in Jerusalem. And this dark time, and it is a dark time in Israel's, his, Israel's history. It's really sad because at this point, the kingdom of Israel that started as one has been split into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Southern kingdom is called Judah. Ahaz is the king. Northern kingdom is called Israel. Sometimes it's called Ephraim. Pekah uh, is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and his capital is in Samaria. A little farther north is another king, Rezin, the king of Syria, and his capital is in Damascus. Then you go a little more north, and there is the great emperor, King Tiglath-Pileser, the king of the expanding, awesome empire of Assyria. Uh, let me just say this. Before, like, really, before I lose you, think about it. Like, the Game of Dragons stuff, the House of Thrones stuff, it's super popular across the spectrum of audiences, both the books and the shows. I've not seen the shows, but I'm told they're super popular. I know what they're about. But they, do, they have this high-cost production value. It's epic world-building. Uh, the plot is, is very dynamic. 
and it's you know very edgy, crossing the line, uh, uh, and, and you know the violence and the nudity, and it is a dark story where the good guys do not fare well. And, and it is, it has been described as a welcome compliment uh, that seems to resonate more than the comic book epics where clear good triumphs over clear evil. That just doesn't seem to really get at the world in my situation. Well, y'all, that fantasy stuff, it has nothing on the ancient kings of Israel and the, it, that's real. So just, like, listen to this. So here's Judah uh, with their two neighbors, Israel and Syria, and they have allied themselves, the, the, two, the two neighbors, Israel and Syria have allied themselves. They have joined forces, and they come to Judah and they say, you need to join our coalition too, because we're going to go uh, on this kind of suicide mission and take on Tiglath-Pileser and, and the kingdom of Assyria. And Ahaz says, no, like that's, no, no thank you. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not down with that. And so Israel and Syria, they scheme to assassinate Ahaz and the rest of the royal family because this is how you take over a throne. It, you, you don't just kill the king. you got to wipe out everybody who has a claim to the throne. And then they're going to put their own puppet king, this guy Tabil, on the throne of Judah who will do whatever they want and they'll make Judah join their coalition. Ahaz, uh, he's very, very familiar with the military superiority of Israel and Syria uh, and we're talking about Syria, and then there's Assyria, uh, Israel and Syria, because they've, they've already crushed Ahaz's army in a previous battle, killing 120,000 of his men. So when he hears about this plot on his life and the life of his royal family, it says this in chapter 7, verse 2 of Isaiah, when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, that's Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. He is terrified. So God sends his prophet, Isaiah, to King Ahaz. And Isaiah says, listen, calm down, calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these, these two so-called kings who are no more fearsome. He says, no more fearsome than a couple of smoldering stubs of firewood. Like, don't be afraid of them. I know they're right around the corner. I know they're coming to kill you. I know they're coming to kill your family. It's not going to happen. Trust God. And, and Isaiah says, basically, I know that's not super. I know that's not super convincing. So, God says to ask for a sign. He'll give you any sign you want for that assurance to know that you and your family are going to be okay. And Ahaz says, "Well, no way. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test." And it sounds like a real humble, faithful response, but it's not. It's it's totally fake faith, phony faith, because we know that Ahaz has has his own agenda. Because we read in 2 Kings uh, chapter 16 that gives us the history of these kings. We read that Ahaz has sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, and he has pledged his fidelity to Assyria. He is basically handing over the kingdom of Judah, God's kingdom, to this pagan monster emperor. And when he sends his messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, he sends them with all this gold and silver from the temple in Jerusalem that's dedicated to God. He gives it to Tiglath-Pileser and his gods, his, his pagan gods. And it's not a shocker because Ahaz actually loved to worship uh, these pagan gods of the surrounding nations. Now, Isaiah knows all this. Isaiah knows all this because God knows all this. So, so really, really fed up, Isaiah says... 
Okay, listen, you're going to get a sign anyways. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that sounds like you hear that, and that sounds super Christmassy if you're going to get all religious about Christmas. And, and it makes me think, you know, that behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, that makes me think of baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph in no little town of Bethlehem. And now I hope it will also and forever also bring to mind Isaiah and Ahaz and Rezin and Pekah and Sheer Jehub, uh, who's Isaiah's son, we didn't get to him, in Damascus, in Samaria, in Tiglath-Pileser. Like, uh, that stuff should also, it's all a part of the Christmas story. But, but again, we get back to that question. If you were living in ancient Israel, dark times, and you were needing a miracle, and you were told, don't worry, a virgin is going to have a child, is that supposed to inspire faith and hope and, you know, love? Uh, it should. Um, uh, we here on this side of history, we do know more. We know more than Ahaz. Uh, and, and we should still ask, okay, really, what does a miracle baby born 700 years after Ahaz have to do with the big scary mess that Ahaz is in right now? It means this. The sign means the kings of the kings of Israel and Syria have made a big mistake. Isaiah goes on to describe this child. Uh, and, and, and the message is these kings have made a big mistake because they've decided not just to kill Ahaz, they have also decided to overthrow the throne and, and kill off the entire royal family and usurp the throne of Judah and supplant the royal family with a king of their own. Big Big no-no because God has made a covenant with the first king of Israel when the kingdom was one kingdom, King David. And God promised David that one of his heirs would always sit on his throne. And God here, through Isaiah, reiterates that promise with a new prophecy that one of his heirs would always sit on the throne and rule over his people until one comes from the house of David who is even greater than David, a king of kings, this Emmanuel child miraculously born to a virgin. So when the enemy kings of Israel and Syria decide to take out the house of David, they're signing their own death warrants. And it turns out this is a prophecy that was not fulfilled for 700 years, but it means, it does mean, as Isaiah spells it out for Ahaz, it means Ahaz and his family, they are totally secure in the midst of this terrible threat. This is why the light, when we get back to Isaiah, you know, that's the context for Isaiah 9. When we get to Isaiah 9 and, and it starts talking about, hey, we're in deep darkness, a light is coming, that light is a child. It's this child that Isaiah has been talking about. That's why the light is a child. And then you don't want to go too far uh, without uh, before asking, okay, well, okay, but why is, why is this child a light? Or how, how not, not just any light, how, why is the child the great light? Ahaz is a bad king and the cause of a lot of darkness in his kingdom 
But there have been good kings. There have been good kings and there have been good leaders of God's people. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, he will be a good king after Ahaz. From the beginning, and I mean like the very, very beginning, go back to the beginning of the first king, like Adam. From the beginning, many, many of the ancestors of this child of light have been really good leaders. They have been pivotal, pivotal pieces in the history of redemption. Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, just to, name, just to name a few. But all of them, all of them, um, I lost my place right there. I didn't want to do that. Uh, all of them, like all of the Old Testament kings of Israel, even the good ones, they also walked in darkness. And the child of light promised here, it is Jesus and Jesus is the one in whom there is no darkness. So one of the, one of the fave most popular annual festival feasts in Israel was called the, the Feast of Booths. It was always in Jerusalem. It was always packed. It was always an awesome time because God commanded everyone to have an awesome time during this feast. So everyone had an awesome time during this feast. It was a feast of rejoicing. And one of the big ceremonies during the feast was, it was called the Illumination of the Temple. And uh, it, they lit these four golden oil-fed lamps in the court of the women, which is in the temple. Uh, and these lamps, don't think of like, you know, little, little candle thing, candelabra. These were 75 feet high lamps, giant menorahs. Uh, and they were, lit, they were lit in the temple at night, and they were so bright, it is said that they illumined the whole city. Like you didn't need to go out with a light. Uh, all, all of it was to remind Israel uh, of the pillar of fire, the pillar of fire that led Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the wilderness. Uh, and it was to remind God's people uh, that, that God was sending a great light. The stuff that you read about in Isaiah, that God is sending a great light to dispel their darkness, to restore their joy and their glory. And, and, and one year, in the middle of that feast, Jesus stands up and Jesus says, I am the light. He says, I am the light of the world. He didn't even say I'm the light of Jerusalem. He says, I'm, I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. And it's not that Jesus taught light. It's not that his message is light. It is. But he also says of himself, he is light. And you don't say that unless you think you're God. And over and over and over, the New Testament says that God is light. And it says that Jesus is light because Jesus is God. But saying that God is light, that didn't, that, that's, not a new, that's not just a New Testament thing. That didn't start in the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament too. This stuff of God is my light and my salvation. All of these Old Testament theophanies, these local manifestations of God when he comes down from heaven and he takes on this form, he comes down to earth in the spirit constantly as light, as this bright, blazing fire and cloud of light. But what you never see in the Old Testament, God is light. What you never see in the Old Testament is God showing up as light on earth in a human body. And then the virgin conceived and bore a child, the one king sent into the world like a beam of light from heaven who is light himself. 
Now, here's the so, like, okay, here's the so what. Here's the so what for you. 2,700 years after this Isaiah prophecy, 2,000 years after this child of light, here's a, he, this is how Isaiah 9 begins. We didn't notice we didn't do that very first verse. I didn't want it to be distracting. It's kind of long. You're kind of like, what? Okay, so here's the very first verse of Isaiah 9. Before this prophecy, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later, latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. <clears throat> that is, Naphtali and Zebulun should also be in Christmas carols. Uh, who cares about Naphtali and Zebulun? Like, who is, who, who is Naphtali and Zebulun? That's kind of the point. <clears throat> um, they are the northernmost tribes of Israel. Consider, consider, they were really considered the outskirts of Israel, like the podunk tribes of Israel. These were the two most insignificant tribes in Israel. Nobody famous ever came out of Naphtali or Zebulun. And, and you do, you, they disappear in the pages of the Old Testament. Like, you probably have not heard of them. <clears throat> and Isaiah 9 says, the child of light is first going to dawn on the first two tribes of Israel that were taken into deportation by Assyria and disappeared from the pages of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and, and then it says, and not just to the insignificant of Israel, the child of light will also dawn on Galilee of the nations. That means the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Y'all, Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee, that is where Jesus spent the bulk of his three years of ministry. And Isaiah 9 paints this image uh, here's the so what, like, wait, so what for us again? Isaiah 9 paints this image of a day coming when this light will dawn and there will, there will no longer be any gloom in this land and the people of this land will become a land of glory. The people will become a people of light. <clears throat> this is good news for all people because like the ancient Israelites did, we also, we walk in darkness. You say this, the world is a beautiful place. Awesome weather in some places. Awesome food in this city, in this place. Uh, awesome sights. Awesome people. The world is a beautiful place. And the world is cursed. And yeah, we live in a dark world. Like the sickness, war, injustice, hatred, selfishness, broken relationships, hunger, on and on and on. The darkness goes. But this darkness is not just out there. It's out there because it's in here. The darkness is in each and every one of us. We do not treat other people the way we should treat other people. We do not even treat ourselves the way we should treat ourselves. And, and let's just say, regardless of like whatever God's standard of living is, we come up with our own standard of living. Whatever your standard of living is, you don't live up to it. No one lives up to their own standard of living. And if nothing is done about this darkness, the darkness will become eternal. The Bible also talks about this, that hell is an eternal darkness. And this crazy thing in the New Testament, one of the first things Jesus says to his followers, his followers who are just starting to grasp who Jesus says he is and starting to believe in him, he says to them, you 
are the light of the world. One of the last things Jesus says to his followers as he's talking about his impending death is, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He's saying, listen, if you, if you come to Jesus, who is the light, you will become a light too. His light will shine on you and off of you. There's a, a picture, of the, there's a National Geographic series called Welcome to Earth. The, the second episode, it's called Descent into Darkness. And in Brazil, there's an explorer uh, who goes to these waterfalls in the middle of the night, uh, the you know, dead of night, uh, Iguazu Falls. It's the largest waterfall system in the world. Uh, and it's right there in Brazil. And during a full moon, when the skies are totally clear, a, there's a ghostly arc of light that appears in the midst, uh, the midst of the, the waterfalls. It's a moonbow. It's this thin gray line in the air that is it's nearly impossible to see. You can see it, uh, and it stretches across the entire gorge. But then if you have the right camera and the right lens, you can actually see the arc of light for what it really, truly, actually is. It's a rainbow, but it's created by the moonlight. Okay, so the sun is strong enough to cast a moonbow from its reflection off the moon. Okay, that's like you and me. You and me, uh, we're like the moon and the moonbow, and, and Jesus is like that sun. Uh, of even though, even though it is hard, hard, hard to see in a world of darkness, you are the light of the world even when you don't think you can see it. Jesus is that great of a light. When you come to him, it, it, it can't help but his light reflect off of you. You are the light of the world. But while the sun is strong enough to cast a rainbow from its reflection off the moon, moonlight itself is actually not strong enough to activate uh, our, our color vision. Which means, so, so the rainbow, actually, you can see the, the moonbow, but the, the rainbow, what it really is, it remains hidden in darkness. Okay, that's also like you and me. As in, you are the light of the world, but you're the moon, and you don't have any light of your own. While he is on the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, uh, it says... All of a sudden, in the middle of the day, darkness descends on the land. The land goes completely dark, unexplainably. The land goes completely dark. And it's because right there, the light of the world, the light sent from heaven, he is being extinguished in our place. As the darkness overtakes him, God's fiery judgment for the sins of his people, for all of our darkness, Jesus takes that darkness on himself. He is cast into ultimate darkness, which actually casts the darkness out of us. And it makes it possible for God to fill us with his glory and his light. And in, and in taking all of that darkness on himself, miraculously, he overcomes it. You see that in his resurrection as he resurrects to glory and light. 
That's the resurrected Jesus that we are waiting to come back in his second advent. But we need to know this right now. You are the light of the world, but people will not come to salvation by looking at you. Look how awesome I am. That, that's not the message. You have to show them Jesus. You ha- as they look at you and they see light, you've got to show them who the true light is. And, and loved ones, you here, we, we cannot live off of old light. You have to live in the light of Jesus. And your family needs the light. And your friends need the light. And your enemies need the light. You're the light of the world. And you need to show people who the light of the world truly is. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise uh, and we give you thanks for your love, for your grace, for your comfort. Father, we, we pray that, that <laughs> when it seems so dark, because uh, it, it might seem really dark to us as soon as we leave this place, Lord, because it, we're, all, we're all in a hard place for different reasons, different seasons of life. Lord, in that darkness, Show us the light, the light of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, who has truly overcome the darkness that is in us, who is coming back to finish his work, to make everything light. Give us that perseverance to believe today and tomorrow and the next day until you come again. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.